With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in business into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. find someone who doesn't like Kermit, Miss Piggy, Fozzie and the Gang or Alice in Wonderland for that matter. So it's a great pleasure to welcome James Bobbin to Soundtracking, a weekly podcast in which key figures from the world of cinema talk music with me, Edith Bowman. Not only has James directed two Muppet movies and steered Alice on a recent outing through the looking glass, he's played a very significant hand in a couple more pop cultural institutions too. Having helped Sasha Baron Cohen create Ali G, Borat and Bruno, he then teamed up with Jermaine Clement and Brett McKenzie to bring the wonderful musical comedy Flight of the Concords to our screens. Indeed, Brett subsequently lent his expertise to both of James's Muppet movies and we'll be playing plenty of tunes from these films throughout the course of the conversation as well as some classic concords. But where else to begin than with his latest project, Alice Through the Looking Glass and Danny Elfman's majestic score. This is about music. Oh, great. I'm a big fan of the genre oh, of music. the genre of music. I'm always very mistrustful of people who say they don't like music. Brett always tells a funny story about it in New Zealand. At a party when he was a kid, like 15, he met a girl there who said, I don't like music. And he said, what, no music? No, nothing, pop, classical, nope. I don't like music. Leave. No. Literally. He said, <laughs> I knew it from that moment I could never be friends with someone who doesn't like music because how can you not like music? Well, let's start with Alice, if that's all right. We'll kind Please. of work backwards. Sure. I mean, was this a different experience for you in terms of the type of music used in what you've done? and Danny Elfman involved with the score and that side of of things. And this was a thing whereby in Alice, I don't have that much music frankly, I have a fantastic score by Danny Elfman who obviously did a brilliant job on the first one. someone who's afraid of reusing themes yeah. and Alice's theme from the first movie is so fantastically catchy he's a very melodic composer and so I was very keen to encourage him to reuse his own material because it's really good yeah. and why would you not do that and then really it was just a question of like nailing time's theme and various other bits and pieces
I mean, score is such an important part of movie making, which people don't really pay that much attention to, mm. because if it's doing its job well, you don't notice it's there. Exactly. And that's an amazing thing about score. But each character having a theme. This film lends itself to that yeah. because they are such diverse and such interestingly strong characters. They hold up a theme each, certainly, and yeah. so it, it can get confusing because then you have a scene with five people and you can't have five <laughs> themes, obviously. But they deserve their own theme because they occupy so much screen space. That was great, but then when we actually chose to start using needle drop music, like in the scene, for example, at the very beginning of the movie, where Alice goes to the Ascot Mansion for a party, there's a, actually, uh, it's a, I think it's a Strauss polka, mm -hmm. which I looked up, because this means this is important to me. So I was sort of trying to work out what was number one in 1875. <laughs> and it originally was this cool thing called Barn Fry, yeah. which was like the, the song that summer out of Vienna. So it'd been like that year you'd bought this sheep music and everyone down the everyone down the shop found this sheep music <laughs> yeah. and have you heard the new barn fry? It's amazing. So I love the idea of trying yeah, to use stream contemporary. It on Spotify. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But I love the idea of trying to keep that real, whereby at that party at that time they would have been playing that song and everyone would have got up, you know, like come and I leave. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're giving too much away there, there. Yeah, I know. Sorry, I mean that. I mean something much cooler than that. I do like using contemporary music, but it's a period piece, so it's quite hard to integrate contemporary music into history pieces because of the nature of what you're seeing on the screen. It has been done in, in people like Sophia Coppola in Marion Smith, did a really yeah. interesting idea of composing, you know, the idea that punk rock would work with the, you know, Marion Smith is an interesting one. Yeah. And so if you commit to it, you can, it's kind of great, but you can't sort of dip into it, dip out of it. I mean, I could talk to you for hours about the Muppets films.
We have the first film in particular, the soundtrack of that film in the car yes. constantly yes. because it crosses generations because I have that nostalgic thing yeah. of the theme tune, the characters, but you've done a clever thing on the soundtrack that incorporates a little bit of the scene into the music. That was my idea, everybody. Well done. <laughs> well, because it's I remember brilliant. as a kid enjoying that aspect of soundtracks. I liked a bit of Doug to remind me of where I was in the scene at that moment. So, you know, my kids are the Muppets as well from the soundtrack as they do from the actual film itself. And that means that the songs you choose to include that aren't original songs, like We Built the City by Starship, oh, yeah. that song Thank just... you, by the way. My kids love that song. Well, because <laughs> it feels Muppety. I mean, that's the word I use very frequently in the old days. But Muppety is a thing to me. Some things are and some things aren't. And Starship's We Built the City definitely is. Um, and so it felt like the absolutely right music they rebuilt the Muppet Theatre to. Well, Welcome back, everyone. I know the old place is not quite at its best right now, but don't worry, we'll be fine. Ah, uh, commit. There's no way we can rehearse with a place like this. Don't you guys remember? You're the Muppets. You do this to music. Well, all right. And then similarly, I, I made a more controversial choice from Muppets 2 when I did this thing where I used the Macarena with Piggy. And that was because I was, very, I was after a very particular 90s sound which sounded bad. Because the whole point of that show is what's the worst thing they could do is do a Macarena. It's so loathsome. I mean, it's incredibly catchy. But I think then people think I'm trying to be cool or something, which is terrible, because the whole point is not to be cool in that situation. So it's complex. And again, people read things into music all the time. So you're, you're trying to say something, and sometimes it works and sometimes not so much. <laughs> Hello. Hello. How does it work, or how did it work across those two films? I guess there's three sides of it. There's using tracks like Starships We Built the City. Yep. There's using songs like um, Nirvana that is covered by characters <laughs> within the film, or Macarena, like yeah. mentioned there as well. Yeah. And then yeah, Courtney Love loved that. She's fa- she loved that moment so much. She, she wrote to me and was very complimentary. But <laughs> Not true. Anyway, sorry. You were, you were saying, she had a big problem. Anyway, well, I, I, so I hear. I don't know her at all. What's the full 
process is in the script. It's different. For, you're right. It's for different things. I mean, really, the ideas for some of the stuff you put in later on is things like needle drops. Obviously, we had to shoot. We built the city, so I had to choose that ahead of time. But sometimes there are pieces like ACDC. You yeah. don't choose because it just works with that moment. Somehow you're in the edit. You just try different things out, and that one really kicks, and it works yeah. really well. And so that's the thing you choose later on. Nirvana was just because again it was that thing that I thought what would annoy Jack Black more than anything in the whole world and that would be an acapella version of uh, it like Never, yeah it sounds like just yeah. exactly yeah and so particularly because it'd be like this chef and it would be like Beaker going and it was just a funny he'd like he would be saying things like you're ruling one of the greatest songs of all time <laughs> and it's just true and, and it, but that's what Muppets do you know if you watch the show they continually play with all sorts of musical genres and do it in a very interesting way but they did do con- cover contemporary songs so I felt it would be a kind of interesting thing to do. must be at very early stages because it's part of the script. It is, yes, things. yes. That piece itself was part of when we do reshoots or pickups or whatever. In movies these days, you always have a couple of, you know, a week of extra stuff to add on at the end. And we watched the film back having shot principal photography and wanted to have more Muppet show because mm. it was fun to do. And so in reshoots on Muppets 1, we shot both Smells Like Teen Spirit with the acapella version, but also um, the chickens singing Sea Low. And yeah. again, we just shot two, fa- yeah. you know, they're super quick and they're really fun, but they add so much to the movie because we felt the show was a show suddenly. And it was a really uh, fantastic move. <laughs> musical number with Ricky as well yes number one number two that yeah. one yeah and again it's that thing where Brett is such a musical maestro he really has the ability to do any kind of genre and for Muppets too it was more of a caper so I slightly wanted to delve into sort of Hollywood history a bit so you see the opening number was a Busby Berkeley American in Paris tribute and it was just fun and obviously complete nightmare to shoot with puppets I don't know what I was thinking it was so hard it took forever and it was really fantastic and I love the opening for the movie doing a sequel we're back by popular demand come on everybody strike up the band we're doing a sequel that's what we do in hollywood and everybody knows that the sequel's never quite as good a sequel let's give it a shot all we need now is a half decent plot got it an epic love story between a very handsome, long-nosed purple thing and a beautiful chicken. 
Gonzo with the wind. Uh, does anybody have any other ideas? Oh, oh, it's about getting the Muppets back together again to stop an evil oil baron from demolishing the old studio. Fuzzy, did you even watch our last film? How about one of those fish out of water movies? Yeah, I'm not so sure about that, Lou. It's about a frog who marries a beautiful, perfect pig, and they have to kiss each other. Oh, what? I don't think Americans watch subtitled films. How about a movie where you don't make a movie? And we all get to go home early. <laughs> Good grief. It's about a lonely dog. And one night he sees something he should never have seen. And he has to live with a terrible secret. Uh, that sounds a little dark, Rolf. Kermit. How about the Muppets go on a world tour? That's perfect. But then when you get into Ricky, and Ricky's got an interesting voice, he's got, he really gives it something. And as you know, he was in the former life a pop star of some sort. Um, <laughs> but he really commits, and that's all, that's all I care about is singing. Like Siegel, when Siegel sang Man on Muppet. Yeah. I mean, Siegel's got a very interesting kind of meatloaf style voice, but it really is just to me about commitment. If you try your best, that's all. I, I don't care about hitting the notes. I really don't. It doesn't matter because it's character. Yeah. And so for Jason as Gary in the movie singing that song, it worked perfectly. I reflect on my reflection And I ask myself the question What's the right direction to go? I don't know. for Ricky as number two. It was basically the idea of anything you can do, I can do better. That kind of inspiration, but in a, in a number one, number two, and without making scatological references within that as much as possible. In fact, we had a whole scene we cut from the movie, which was about number one, number two, whereby Constantine is on the loo, and then Ricky's at the door. <laughs> we never used it in the end, but we shot it. I'm number one. You're number two. We're criminals at large, but I'm at larger than you. I'm number one. You're number two. I believe in equality as long as you get less than me. I'm one. You're one. You're number two. I'm number two. You may think that you're smarter, but I'm smarter than you. I'm number one. You're number two. You're lucky to be number two, not number three. Are these the conversations you had with Brett then in terms of those songs that were written? You know, Yeah, that was different. I mean, Brett on Muppets Most Wanted, but it was kind of that thing whereby when Nick and I write the script, we had an idea about where the songs would go. And obviously I'd written musicals with Brett and Jermaine before for Concords, and so I'd learned about using story within songs to move the thing forward. And so with Brett, that was a really fun time because basically he came over to LA and we got in this really weird studio. He basically, off of Hollywood Boulevard, there was like an old jeans shop that like opens. It was literally had a shop saying like jeans for sale outside still. But it was basically a derelict, empty space. And we got an old piano and like a tape player 
and we just left him in there for like two weeks and we're back at the end of it and see what he got and he'd written these incredible songs and he just we just sat down and it's myself and the producers and the studio and we sat down and listened to these songs and pretty much five of those first eight songs are in the movie just exactly right straight away having read the script hello i think it's time for a good cup of romantic miss piggy you could end up locked inside and now's your chance to save your head oh, gentlemen i did not know it's a crime to steal the show tell us how the art was taken if you want to save your bacon i haven't seen your missing art oh i've stolen its audience heart we can give you a free deal all you have to do is squeal i'm not a thief i don't know how all i've ever taken is a bow we'll catch the swine that did this job give up the pit punch creep don't jump in a lake that's my suggestion thank you muppets no more questions they didn't no they didn't there's no way they did the crime they too stupid. You're not a criminal mastermind. We do not know who did it, but we know who didn't do it. So, so we know who didn't do it. Yes, we know who didn't do it. They're incapable of being culpable. The only one that changed significantly, I think, was the big house. Which is originally more about the gulag, but I was a bit concerned about using the word gulag in the song, to be honest. <laughs> I mean, it's a Russian word for prison, but still, you never know. I'll show you to your room and executive twin suite with a view. All our manatees are free of charge. You can see the stars through the mini bars in the big house. The most interesting one was the song that Constantine sings to Piggy, which is called Anything You Want, which yeah. ended up being like a sort of Michael McDonald disco 1970s version, sort of fantastic yacht, yacht rock, which I love. first version he wrote of that was the kind of 1950s Elvis rockabilly version which was really cool but weirdly not as funny it felt too cool and yeah. it was kind of good energy and it was like a full-on Elvis song which was, which Matt Vogel plays Constantine just totally nailed in the demo baby stop right there let me clear the air let me apologize I know what you're thinking of you're thinking where's the love well it's right before your eyes Is green. Mm, I think you know what I mean. 
but there was something more sexy, I guess, about doing it as Michael McDonald. And obviously a frog being sexual, it was obviously not appropriate for children, obviously, but they wouldn't understand that. It would just be he's kind of like cheesy, yeah. I guess. But for adults, it's pretty hilarious. And that, I love that. So that's one of my favourite songs I've ever written. I mean, it's really funny. I'm like, properly great. I can give you anything you want, give you anything you need. I'll make your dreams come true. Oscars and all sorts. Yeah, no, you won an Oscar. It's amazing. My friend Fantastic. won an Oscar. Who'd have thought it? I know it's a very weird day in my life. I set up on that balcony and watched Jack Black and Will Ferrell announce his name. It was amazing. And like, you just think, now, how is that possible that that very nice man has got won that brilliant thing? Because that doesn't happen often in life. <laughs> so no, it's great. Can we talk a little bit about Concords? For sure. Because you co-created it with, with Brent Germain. I did. Because after after you saw them do the show, is that kind of that how it? It's pretty much what happened. I mean, I'm, I Concords were in Edinburgh for a year. No one ever heard of them saw the show, and then they came back the following year, and everyone suddenly saw them. One of those things of it. The word goes around but even at that stage they were playing pretty small venue like under the castle somewhere in a cave to about 25 people but those 25 people were like completely astounded by what they saw because you know what Edinburgh's like some of it is great yeah. some of it not so great and it's really a joy to find something that no one knows about which is that good But yeah, we watched a lot of comedy in those days. And when you watch a show as strong as that, which is it's, it's a complete show out of the gate, and it isn't just the songs that were great, the in-between song banter, which felt really unscripted, just funny delivery. But then you watch it, go back the next day and watch it again, and you realise it's scripted. Their pauses and their sort of stumbles are deliberate. And that is so clever, to create a sense of improvisation, even though it's actually been written that way. And I was really impressed by that, and I thought that shows great thinking about how to create character. Yeah, this is just banter. There's songs and then there's banter. Don't don't freak out. It's all it's part of being talking. a band. We just we just talk. It's, it's basically just, just it's, talking. It is just, just talking. Yeah. Just professional. Yeah. Just a professional version of talking, if you like. We just banter banter with each other. We banter with the crowd. Just like hello. Just that's an example of <laughs> just working in with that guy, finding out a bit about him. What are you, a guy or something? Just like. <laughs> Just went, what's that? Are you having a drink? Okay. Just, you know, just building up a rapport with um, the people of the crowd. Me and Brett just bam, bam, firing off each other. Yeah, we're a bit faster. What's happening? Uh, how, you d- how are you going? I'm just sitting here. Um, that's not a great example no, of one, but... But that was new, that was new, we that made that up. That's a fresh one, so it's improvised. We've done some great ones. Then I, I think I was living in LA by then anyway because I was doing LAG with Sash. And so they would come through LA on their way to Wellington from London. And we'd like hang out and HBO were aware of Concords. They'd asked them to do this thing called the stand-up special, like a one-night stand-up thing. And they got a standing ovation, which is very rare. The distant future. The year 2000. The distant future. The year 2000. The distant future. The distant future. 
HBO called me and said, have you heard about the Concords? And I said, yeah, like staying in my guest house. I started on yesterday for dinner. Uh, would you like to work with them on a show? And I said, great. Who there? Who there? Who there? Who there? Who there? The humans are. The humans are dead. Once again, without emotion, the humans are dead. And obviously, by this time, they had done a radio show over here on mm. the BBC, but it's a slightly different dynamic. And it was a similar thing, and it was more about being a touring band in England. It was pretty funny. But I had a more of a sense that it would be fun for them to be relatively new to New York and their life, but also their strange relationship be the point of the show. And then have the songs be their inner voices. Je suis enchanté. Voilà même passeport. Ah, Gérald de Badier. Baguette. somewhat shy and so it's so fun that in their heads they saw themselves rock musicians and could really express themselves in song only and what was great at that point of course was they had a huge back catalogue of songs to choose from so for season one we chose songs that had an interesting narrative and then built a script around it I'm the pretty prince of parties you're a tasty piece of pastry you're so lighty flighty faking I go where the party takes me And then season two, we changed that because we ran out of songs. <laughs> and so for season two, what we had to do, we just wrote things we found funny. And I think, honestly, season two, I know is that people find it trickier, I think. But I think, honestly, it's funnier. If you watch season two, in terms of the structure of the episodes, they're much better. And then the songs came afterwards. And the songs therefore then fitted into the show. That was the difference between two seasons. But I, I watch those things fairly regularly and I, they still stand up. Too many dicks on the dance floor. Too many dicks on the dance floor. Too many dicks. Too many dicks on the dance floor. Too many dicks. Too many dicks on the dance floor. Going to the party, sipping on Bacardi. Wanna meet a hottie, but there's Adam, Steve, and Marty. There's Billy, Todd, and Tommy. They're on the front the army. The only booze I see tonight will be made up on Rogami. Tell the fellas, make it understood. It ain't no good if there's too much wood. Make sure you know before you go. The dance floor, bro, Horatio. Five to one, it's a rodeo. Tell Steve and Mike, it's time to go. Wait outside all night to find 22s in a conga line. Too many dicks on the and I'm pleased we ended it because we were so tired because we did it all you know the show was run not on the kind of American writer's room template we had some help for sure because we couldn't possibly write all of them too many dicks too many dongs too many shots now sing this song At the end of the day, we're basically making a, shooting a 
sitcom and three music videos in five days, which is as impossible. Like you know, I wouldn't even dream of him to do that now, and I probably couldn't do it. But <laughs> in those days, it felt like a thing you could try. Favourite musical moment from Concords? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, there's lots. I, I love the song about Jermaine Don't Be a Prostitute because the video is really fun and Jermaine is really funny in that. And it's a very clever Roxanne parody by Brett. You don't have to be a prostitute. No, 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 no. You can say no to being a man A male gigolo. You don't have to be a prostitute. No, 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 no. And then, of course, there was Inner City Pressure from the first season, which I love because, you know, the Pet Shop Boys wrote West End Girls, and that's what this song feels like to me. And the Pet Shop Boys do always do fantastic videos, I say, so they're just standing still doing nothing or looking opposite directions. And, and so that whole video is a real tribute to early Pet Shop Boys. Inner city life, inner city pressure, the concrete world is starting to get you. The city is alive, the city is expanding, living in the city can be demanding. You've pawned everything, everything you own, your toothbrush jar and a camera phone. You don't know where you're going, you cross the street. You don't know why you did, you walk back across the street. Standing in the sitting room, totally skint, and your favourite jersey is covered in lint. You want to sit down, but you've sold your chair, so you, you just stand there. by the flattery of the situation, which is very nice. Nice. Yeah, no, it's great. That's always a good Corny thing. Corny love. Always a good thing. Yeah, no, yeah, all my fans. You're, flying. Oh, no, my... You're absolutely <laughs> flying. I just well... hear these things. By the way, I must stress, I've never met these people. I don't know if it's true. James, absolute pleasure chatting to you. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you so much. And, my and pleasure. yeah, look forward to, to seeing what's next. From Fight the Concord's self-titled album, that's Au Revoir, which seems a fitting way to bid farewell to writer, producer and director James Bobbin. Many thanks to James for taking the time to talk to us and for giving us an excuse to play a load of songs from The Muppets. His latest film, Alice Through the Looking Glass, is out on home entertainment formats now, with Danny Elfman's score available via Walt Disney Records. You can find the full track list for this show by heading to edithbowman.com, which is also the place to listen to all 17 previous episodes of Soundtracking. Rest assured, there's something for everyone. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We're at Soundtracking and do rate us on iTunes if you get a second. Next up is British writer and director Sean Ellis, who released Anthropoid earlier this year and also brought us the award-winning Metro Manila. 
I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then.